Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I am super excited today. We've got a little bit of a different direction than we've been going in a lot of our episodes. Our guest today is the Chief Product Officer of Presto. You may have interacted, interacted with some of his technology at your favorite restaurants. Daniel Dryman, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Tell everybody a little bit about what Presto does and what your role is there. Um, so Presto is a leader in front of house technology for restaurants. Um, our systems through touch, vision, voice, um, help restaurants provide a service to guests, which provides a better guest experience while reducing labor costs um, and helping with basically all the KPIs that are important in the front of house. Um, the company um, is a technology company, but not really a startup. Uh, our founder came out of MIT in 2008 uh, with a realization that technology is lacking in the restaurant space. It's a very analog uh, place. Uh, and he found it weird uh, that even splitting a check between friends that are having a meal together is such a complex uh, operation. Um, and what we really try to do is to layer uh, digital experiences on top of a physical experience in the restaurant. Because at the end of the day, you know, this, this is not online, right? This happens in what I call meat space. Um, and th that's one of the things that drew me to Presto. I I've been in restaurant uh, technology for the last decade. Um, and this is the third company where I'm trying to contribute to this progress, you know, for the restaurant industry. But it comes from the realization that in the online world, uh, you know, the, the, the company like Amazon, right, knows everything about the customer, uh, all the items that they browsed, all their purchase history, etc., and is able to customize a personalized experience for the consumer, which is good for the consumer, who gets you know, some curated suggestions, uh, et cetera. And obviously it's good for the bottom line because Amazon is able to sell more. And when you go to a typical restaurant, you know, a restaurant manager will be able to tell me, you know, the first company that I worked with, a restaurant, uh, you know, I, I was heavy into QSRs, and I would go to a McDonald's and talk to a franchisee and say, today was a great day with 1,400, uh, checks and say, how does that compare to yesterday? Well, yesterday we only had 1,200. And then I would ask him, and how many of those 1,400 are repeat guests from yesterday, right, versus a new cohort? And obviously he had no idea whatsoever, you know, those are just anonymous uh, people. Um, and when you realize how backward it is, right, um, then um, you say, okay, you know, can we bring those technologies from the online world and transpose them uh, to a restaurant um, area. Um, and again, this is not just about productivity uh, and upsells, uh, you know, and insights for the restaurant, but it's also a better guest experience, right? So for example, on our tabletop devices, our pay at the table uh, devices, we're able to uh, basically curate a menu uh, for guests based on past orders. Right. So why should you be able to, you know, when you go to place an online order, 
to be able to say just, you know, like, like when I go with espresso, right? With Nespresso, I say we reorder the same capsules that I ordered last time. But when you sit down at a restaurant, you know, let's say casual dining, you have to specify again to the server that you like your burger without caramelized onions, with extra pickles and lots of mayo, right? Let's, let's just say that I want it. So our system would remember that and would allow you to basically reorder those things. Um, so, so that's one aspect of helping guests. Uh, and obviously, when you increase guest satisfaction, you have more repeat visits. So it's, it's not just good for the guests, it's good for the uh, restaurant. And then what's exciting is that while traditionally, you know, Presto started with those pay-at-the-table devices that allows you to order play games, by the way, uh, which is another revenue opportunity for restaurants, uh, and really deal with the, the, the last, the, the least enjoyable uh, function at the restaurant right, when you have to pay, right? And if you think about flagging the server saying, hey, check please, waiting for the server to go to the back of house, print a check, bring it to you, and then she would disappear and you would have to flag her again to say, please take my credit card, and then she would disappear again. So now you can just plug your credit card at the table on a device, tip handsomely because you're happy, right? You're not you know, annoyed at the server that it's not available and, and leave. Uh, but then the, the new Presto products, which are now being deployed both in casual dining and in quick service restaurants, also use technologies such as computer vision, where, you know, our, our goal is to have a manager overlooking every table, right? So a, a, a virtual manager um, and provide insights about, you know, what servers are providing great service, how many touch points they had. Uh, with uh, a table, and then you can cross-correlate it with customer surveys, uh, et cetera, which is an opportunity to retrain, uh, et cetera. So we, we really want to elevate, to use technology to elevate the experience in the restaurants. I love it. And we are so well aligned on that <laughs> particular example. There was a lot to unpack there. So one of the things that I've always found interesting about software, and you know, from the time I was 21 coming out of college with my little computer science degree fresh in my hand, I always thought it was interesting that to look at the things that customers were asking for. And it's not really where you want to necessarily take the product, right? So customers will, it, it, you can go back to kind of Henry Ford. You know what I'm talking about, but I yes, just want to, I want to, I want to, for those of you listening who haven't ever designed software, you know, if Henry Ford had asked all the people riding horses what they wanted and what they, you know, would have been useful for their horse and buggies, they would not have ever made an automobile. So you have to take into account what customers are asking you for, but you also have to take into account what they don't know is possible, right? And design for innovation that's useful for them that they don't know yet. How do you guys innovate? How do you balance that, giving customers what it is that they want and giving customers what it is that they don't know what they want? So I think that you're absolutely right. That if we were guiding our product development solely on demand, uh, we wouldn't go far. Right. Uh, people don't have the imagination to come up with a totally different experience uh, that they are used to. Uh, I'm kind of listening to an audiobook uh, um, about anti-fragility by uh, Nassim Taleb, and he's very strong about the lack of imagination of all of us, basically, yeah. right? And, and those those epiphanies Look, of... We're, we're creatures of habit, right? We do what it is that we know. Right. 
So, so one, one good trick is to uh, keep contrasting um, the, those physical experiences with what happens online and to see how we could apply some of those technologies that were developed online uh, and how they can become applicable to a physical space, right? It's not a one-to-one -one, uh, transposition, uh, you know. Um, you, you cannot just cut and paste, right? You need to be a little bit more clever than that, but it, it gives you inspiration. I would say that we are very attentive to customer feedback. And for us, there are two types of customers. There's the guest and there's the restaurant operator. And when I say restaurant operator, it you can be- one of be, my questions away. Right, yeah. At, at the general <laughs> manager level, right? You manage a restaurant mm -hmm. uh, or you manage, or you're a franchisee, you own a bunch of them, or you are the, at corporate and right. you oversee, I don't know, 2000 locations. And what you want to see is that all locations are performing at the highest level possible and how we can help uh, consistently, I would think, right? Con you know, a guest comes into this store versus that store, they have the same experience. Right. So I think that the, the, the most, um, yeah, and by the way, just to open a parenthesis, the experience uh, could be sometimes quantified, right? So if you think about a quick service restaurant at the drive-through, speed of service, right? How long, till, till, you know, just decided to take a right into the, um, the, the drive-through lane, right? And until you exit from the restaurant, you know, with a little bag uh, on the passenger uh, seat, right? Uh, this can be quantified, right? That's speed of service. Um, there are other elements which are a little bit less quantifiable that are more soft, right? But uh, Presto is also very strong on surveys. Um, you know, if you think again about our pay to table uh, devices, that's not the only place where we do surveys, but as an example, uh, we have extremely high completion rate uh, of surveys because it's part of the experience. So when a restaurant would put a survey on a little postcard, you know, tucked into the check Never. presenter, almost, you know, nobody, I mean, it's rare for people to use that. And actually it would typically be outliers. There would be That's people right. who are really unhappy and think this is my opportunity to vent or people that are so thrilled that they really want the manager to know that this server was like outstanding so you skew to the extremes. When we continue with a number of questions after you dip your credit card and you're asked to you know, enter a tip or something like that, it feels so natural for guests to just answer those questions that we have survey completion rates you know, that sometimes top 80%, right? Like, wow. And that's, you know, one customer told me, you know, before Presto and after Presto, it's... Uh, astronomically more statistically significant, the data that we get to play with. And then what the data is about depends upon what the restaurant really wants to know, right? Is it about cleanliness? Is it about quality of service? Is it about a new dish that they really want, you know, to get feedback on and maybe they tried it in a region before expanding it uh, nationwide? So getting this feedback um, is super important. But, but back to your original questions about input from the customers. So I would say, um, you know, those surveys help us better understand how people interact with the, uh, the product. And it's more about iterations. And once we already have something, you know, how can we make it better? Okay. And what inputs we get from uh, restaurant operators about their challenges and how our product fit with those challenges. And, oh, if you could only also do this particular feature. So in that respect, yes, we're very um, 
attentive to, 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 to input from customers, but big picture about coming with a totally new line of product, uh, that's typically an ideation process that happens within the company. And obviously we go and validate it with, uh, you know, re restaurant insiders, right? So we, we would ask them, so if we did it that way, you know, would it help you? Uh, and sometimes you actually have to do it and to build a prototype, and, you know, a minimum viable uh, product for them to play with because imagination is so lacking mm -hmm. that even showing a deck is not always enough, you know, and, and it is a very conservative industry, um, which is really not, I mean, because of the thin margins, whenever you can do something, you move the needle pretty fast. Uh, you know, in other industries that are, where there's more fat, maybe there's less need for that. So we need to balance those two things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously we don't compete with each other at all, but we find kind of the same types of things, right? Where, uh, you know, we obviously we deal with food allergy stuff and restaurants will say, oh, well, we're really good at dealing with food allergies. Right. Well, sure. But horse and buggies were really good at driving down the street, too. Yeah. But there's a better way to be able to do it. And by the way, it has all these other benefits. But getting someone to recognize that there's maybe a better way that they haven't seen yet is a little bit of a challenge. And I, I suspect that in more conservative places that don't have a, a you know, a interactive digital experience for their guests as yet, it's a little bit of a of an objection hurdle for you. How and do you guys try to handle overcome, that? If I may turn the table for a second yeah, and ask course. you a question, do you overcome those uh, hesitations or uh, concerns that they have using some type of return on investment? Like this is how it's going to help the business or you, you, you look at it from different aspects? What, what, what's the main way to sell it? Yeah, so from an ROI perspective, it's, it's actually really, really strong. The, so what happens when you have a food allergy in a restaurant Oftentimes, people don't even bother to tell the restaurant because they've been so conditioned to, to minimize themselves and make themselves smaller. And so what they do is they end up ordering very small things. I'll just have a baked potato. I'll just have a side salad. I'll just have a little side of rice. Server doesn't know that there's a food allergy. Server thinks, though, this person's just not a particularly profitable customer. No, that's not what's happening at all, right? And what we do is we open up the entire menu. So statistically, a food allergic customer is 37.5% below the average ticket price. And what we end up doing is giving them stuff in every category that they can have. And so we actually end up raising it well above average. So we turn somebody who was, you know, kind of unhappy and low profitability into somebody who's like, oh, my God, I can order food like for the first time. And then they're ordering everything. Right. So now they're super profitable and super happy. So, yeah, there's an ROI story. Um, also, the table turn time drops significantly because the average food allergy conversation takes like eight to 12 minutes, which is insanity. Right. So it's kind of the similar story to your credit card back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It's the same type of thing, although, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, less predictable, if you that. will. Yeah. Yeah, so those things, but but to your point, showing it to them, particularly with their own data in it, um, is almost always the way to go. All of a sudden, they go, "Oh my God, wow, that really did take a lot less time than, you know, what it is that we experience." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I see it totally. Yeah, sorry, that was a longer answer than you were probably looking for. No, but... <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's super interesting. And listening to you talk about it, there's such parallels between you know our stories uh, in terms of you know what it is that we're trying to help you know, restaurants and, and chains with, uh, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So I appreciate that. 
Um, but same thing, right? You know, when you're when you're asking customers what it is that they want, sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. And you're right, particularly with new products. How often are you asking the diners versus the restaurants in terms of, of customer feedback? So we do some uh, focus groups, uh, and those are with both. So I, I would say that, you know, when we have new ideas and try to test uh, them out, um, you know, it's, um, I would say, in equal parts. Um, I think that once we are in the restaurant and we iterate, most of the complexity is with the steps of service of the particular brand and making sure that what we do fits well with the steps of service. So there we need much more input from the restaurant. And sometimes it's portable, right? So insights from selling to brand A or concept A allows you to, to be better for concept B. And sometimes it's really, really specific um, to the concept. Um, so difficult to have like you know one rule that applies everywhere. It it really depends upon the pro the, the product and the, the concept, but it's a bit of everything. So you guys have you know games and information stuff, menus and stuff about the dishes, nutrition, allergen. How do you balance kind of the fun versus the the informative. I, I would think that if there's kind of too much fun, maybe customers will dismiss it and certain groups won't ever touch if they, you know, but if there's not enough fun, maybe you lose some, some there too. So how do you balance that? So you get kind of maximum interaction from your guests. So this goes again to the goals of the brand, right? So and again, we're talking here just about one particular device or pay the table, uh, device, other solutions such as computer vision and voice, et cetera, have different sure. criteria. It, it's the Presto OG, right? Like it's the original. So and it's, kind yeah, of a, it's an interesting it, one in the space because a lot of restaurants don't have something that's on the table that way. And so it's kind of a different and very cool. True, true. Um, I don't so mean to I minimize say the that Some ones. brands, uh, we have to understand that gaming is also a revenue opportunity. Big time. Um, and in many cases, the product pays for itself. So basically, the revenue that the restaurant gets, and the way that it operates, by the way, is that once you unlock the games, it's typically unlimited for the duration of the meal, and wow. it's just a line item on the check, right? So you have a check where you say, you know, you have the burger, you have fries, and you have games. Um, and Presto, you know, shares in revenue with the restaurant, but that's also a way for us to lower the cost of the device, sure. the perceived cost of the device, you know, uh, if you look at the monthly fee, et cetera, because the device generate revenue right there. Um, other brands, I mean, it's always valuable. What, what difference between one brand and another is the relative value that they bring uh, to that. Um, other brands are mostly about table turns. Um, and then, yes, another uh, category. And then a, a game is potentially leaving a table sitting there much longer. Right. Um, though, though, I would say that from our experience, um, you know, games are being played mostly while you wait for the food, or uh, if it's a family of young kids uh, and your know, husband and wife want to have, you know, a conversation, they would give the tablet to the kid, you know, you, you, you guys play here. <laughs> So 
I don't know that we have any data that shows that it extends uh, the, the visit actually, uh, but certainly the quick turnaround for payment uh, means faster table turns. Um, and then uh, yet another category is restaurant for which uh, labor savings and the crunch in getting good staff, uh, you know, hiring good staff when they compete with the gig economy um, and, and so forth. Uh, so being able to serve service more table with fewer staff since some of the functionality is taken over by the guest. Yeah. Could be just payment, could be payment and ordering. Uh, that means that, you know, instead of serving, serving five tables, maybe they can now serve 12. Uh, and that's very, you know, it, it's a, a major advantage for such uh, systems. Yeah, for sure. I mean, number one cost is going to be labor, right? So that, uh, that seems kind of like a no-brainer. Um, so your daughter is a chef. Um, one of them is. Um, one of your daughters is a chef. One of my daughters, yes. Um, did, did her passion for food come from you, or did you turn into the restaurant industry because of her? She would go with the latter. She would say, <laughs> you know, uh, she was passionate about food from a very young age. Uh, and I'm a foodie, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I worked in technology my entire life, and <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to get you a t-shirt. For those not, you know, on, on, just listening to the podcast, um, you know, you have foodie written all over uh, your t-shirt. So I that, do. That, that, that's good. I've got my food allergic foodie t-shirt on. Um, so, um, you know, it may be just kind of a coincidence, but it's very rewarding to exchange notes with her. Uh, she's now, she actually moved to the other side. She's managing the restaurant. Um, she completed uh, first a degree, you know, I mean, she became a chef, a pastry chef uh, at the Culinary Institute of America, but then she continued to food business management uh, and she's now managing a restaurant. Um, so most of the creativity is, you know, what I'm enjoying at home uh, with her cooking and baking. Um, but um, it, it's very rewarding to be able to exchange notes about you know systems that she likes and dislikes mm -hmm. you know, at work, how technology works in her environment and what she thinks about our products. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I, uh, I thought that was pretty neat that you've got family kind of embedded into the industry, if you will. It's got to make some, some pretty interesting, not only dinners, but dinner conversations as well. Exactly. I like it. Um, so I just want to go, I always talk about I always ask about advice and whatnot, but given that, you know, your world and mine kind of collide, I'm curious to know when you're hiring someone to be on your team, and I don't mean, you know, coders or testers, but somebody to really think about what are the directions and pieces and parts that we should include into the product or fix or, you know, whatever the case may be, what skill set are you looking for when you hire someone? Well, I think that the, the only common skill set across everybody that I'm hiring is communications. So, you know, you may have all the knowledge in the world, you know, if you're not able to communicate it properly, both, you know, in written form and orally, um, that's not really good for any, anybody working in product. Yeah. Um, in terms of the background, I have on my team people that are technologists and they just, you know, learned the restaurant space. 
And I have people that grew in restaurants. Um, you know, one of my best product managers uh, used to be first a server uh, and later a restaurant manager and got the technology bug only later. But she relates better than everybody else about the challenges that people, you know, using our products uh, might, might face. So I think, look, it's a fun industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't get a kick, you know, from being able to be part of it, and if you, I don't say that you necessarily need to, to be a foodie, but you need to kind of relate to the experience. Um, in a previous company, uh, we outsourced, it's not we outsourced, we, we had a very large team offshore. Um, and their experience there is very different than the experience here. So coding and other things, that was okay because, you know, it was well specified. But for product management, we insisted on people onshore because they had to be able to go to restaurants to see, you know, it's not to say there's no restaurant industry outside, but there are in the same way that even in the U.S., one of the the, the differences between the restaurant industry and retail is how regional restaurants are, right, where the menu can vary from you know, one area of the country to another, uh, the terminology may be different, the vibe is different. Um, so product managers should be able to relate to how those products are being used and they have to be local. Uh, so so how, that's another how do you look for those communication skills and that kind of relatability when you're interviewing people? So typically we provide um, an assignment. So we do a, a quick you know, phone screen uh, where we would just have a quick conversation to see that, you know, the basics are there. And if the resume checks and the the phone screening, um, you know, phase goes well, we provide them with an assignment, like a, a, a fake challenge that uh, we have, and we ask them to address that. And some of them would address it with a PowerPoint, other with a memo, but it doesn't matter. They can choose whatever medium they use, but that's a, a very good way to see how they think about a problem, how they present their solution to the different stakeholders uh, and their written communication skills. If we like that, we invite them to uh, an in-person interview, which unfortunately for the last year became, uh, well, it, we, it's funny, I, I get those invites from our HR people, it's called, remote in-person interview because (laughs) in-person interview is kind of what it's called in the process but now it's remote welcome to a pandemic yeah so so hopefully we will see the other side of it uh, you know this year um but so be it in person or in zoom and that's an opportunity to see them in action defending basically the 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 document that they sent us explaining it further details i would imagine um, it gives you a, see, you know how we interact with that yeah, yeah i mean imagine it gives you a good opportunity to hear how they receive feedback also yes absolutely right yeah, it's I not like a one-way that. street it's it's a conversation and then to see how, how it works for them I and worked, for us i worked for a company a technology company who made everybody who was interviewing give a demo of the product of the company which I thought was kind of interesting right but same type of thing so you could see how someone can learn something how someone can present something and then how they can take feedback. It's interesting. Designing software is a technical thing, but yet not, you know, and it's an interesting balance. So I just wanted to hear how, uh, how you approach that. When, when you're looking at what you want to put into the product, there's always, I'm sure someone else who's kind of doing 
something in that general space. How do you decide when to build it on your own versus partner and bring in something else and integrate? So we, we want to maintain control of everything which is core to us. Um, but what's really, what, what Presto has is what we would call a platform. And it's an open platform to which you can plug um, the APIs, you know, that allow you to, to connect uh, other things. And if you think that there is a problem to be solved to the restaurant industry, uh, where we don't necessarily have in-house the right, uh, you know, experience or expertise, we would join forces with other companies. We would, you know, either embed our product in theirs or whatever, but make their product part of our platform. Um, typically benefit from the POS integration that we already have uh, there, right? If we need to get data in or out, uh, et cetera. So we, we are absolutely open to partnerships and corporations. Uh, we, we, we cannot possibly uh, provide all the right answers for the industry on our own. I love that. Um, all right, let's move over to advice. So for somebody who's thinking, gosh, I'd really like to make the world a better place with technology. What advice would you give somebody who wants to go into, um, you know, designing or developing a software product? So I would say, unless you have a very clear vision, you know, you have a passion burning in you to do something very specific uh, and to think that the only way to bring it, and I'm an entrepreneur, uh, you know, I, I, I add my, my, uh, share of uh, you know companies that they started uh, and you know raised funds for etc you do it only if you are super committed if your desire to contribute right is less well specified and defined right you don't have this clear vision of this product that you need to bring to market you just think i like the restaurant industry i think that applying digital techniques uh you know in the restaurant industry would be cool Join a company like ours, right? Um, and learn the ropes. And maybe, you know, uh, after, you know, getting to know better, uh, you know, what, what what's the good uh, software development process? Uh, what are the challenges of? I mean, unless you're an insider, right? If you if you know the problems really well because you come from the restaurant industry, for example, then you don't need that face. But if, if you're more like I was an outsider, right? And they had to spend times in kitchens in order to, to better understand what those operators uh, you know were challenged with um, I, I would not jump and create something new from start I would join you know uh, a rocket ship like presto or a solid company uh, and, and learn the ropes there and then maybe later fly on my own if if that's the best uh, way for for that individual I mean it's so individual right people are doing it for different reasons. I think it's excellent advice. How can uh, how can our listeners connect with Presto online and you? So I tweet a lot. Um, unfortunately, my tweet I have one Twitter feed that it's both personal with all kind of you know call it political observations or whatever, <laughs> and I, I tweet about the the uh, restaurant industry uh, at large and specifically about you know, digital problems in the restaurant industry. So engaging with me on Twitter is always uh, welcome. Um, your Twitter handle is? What, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's just my last name. So it's uh, the at sign and my last name, D-R-E-Y-M-A-N-N. -N. Um, 
But then um, I tweeted a lot about the $15 uh, minimum wage, for example, okay? which uh, I mean, is great for Presto, but it's a disaster for many of our customers who will not you know, move fast enough the technology uh, to be um, you know, profitable in, in some locations. Um, and obviously, if somebody is listening to this podcast and is really interested about Presto, they can shoot me an email, daniel at presto.com. That's pretty easy. Um, and then we blog a lot. So if you go on the Presto website and want to see what is top of mind for Presto right now, uh, the blog page on our website is, is a good resource to see not only what's the solution, but what are the, the challenges that we are either addressing or that we are about to address. Perfect. So as you know, I like to wrap all these episodes up with my little game of two truths and a lie. So you're going to tell everybody two true things and one false, but mix them up. Don't tell us which one is which, and we're not going to tell them what the answer is. Uh, if you want to know which one's not true, you're going to have to come to one of our social media pages or any of your favorite podcast platforms and ask. So Daniel, take it away. Okay, so I'll go by uh, numerological order. So I have one dog, two daughters, and three passports. Well, that's the fastest one I think we've ever had, and I like it. I don't have any idea which one may or may not be true. Thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. This time has flown by so incredibly fast. Listeners, I hope that you found it as informative as and as and I can't even speak. Listeners, I hope you found it as interesting and informative as I did. Daniel Dryman, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Listeners, this has been the Shandyland Podcast. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you soon.